going to uh, continue the series that we have been into on the fruit of the Spirit, which really has to do with the uh, book of Galatians as a, as a whole, and this is part six. So it's kind of the wind-up of everything today, and then next week, uh, next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday, so I want to do a kind of a special message about the power of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost Sunday, looking at Shavuot, the Jewish holiday uh, that we call uh, Pentecost today, all right? Um, so just a little bit of a review for you. Uh, you know, we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, and everybody wants to get there, and start talking about, you know, each characteristic and all of that. And what we found is that, well, hold on, there's a whole bunch of other things that are going on in Paul's mind when he writes his letter to the Galatians before he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And there's a whole kind of foundation that has to be laid. So you can't just kind of, you know, drop uh, uh, a little switch and all of a sudden... You, you know, the fruit of the Spirit is in your life, right? And we talked about some of these foundational things. Uh, part one, you see in chapter one, Paul and his whole deal with his who he is and his identity uh, is in the gospel. He, he finds this to be extremely important in his own life uh, that, he, that he knows who he is. He's not even talking about fruit in, the, in chapter one. He's trying to establish his authority to this audience because they seem to be critical of him. And so this is important. It's a great lesson for us to have our identity in the gospel. We looked at uh, chapter 2 and you see this confrontation that Paul had with Peter at some point uh, where really what we're looking at there is Peter has this blind spot moment in his life and Paul is, is calling him out on it as well as all the other people who were involved in this this incident where, you know, they were living in a certain way where they were eating with the Gentiles. You know, back then, if you're a, even if you were a Christ follower, if you came from a Jewish background, well, you weren't supposed to eat with a non-Jewish person. Even if they were a Christ follower, there were still these kind of taboos. And, you know, then they would break them and they'd say, no, we're in Christ and we eat with the Jews, Gentiles, doesn't matter your religious background. And then you get some strict Jewish folks who come from the church in Jerusalem and Peter says, oh, I shouldn't eat with them these Gentiles, because the, you know, the stricter people from Jerusalem are going to think something of me, and I want to be thought of a certain way. And Paul says, whoa, 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 right? And he calls him out, and he says, this is hypocritical what you guys are doing. And it's a blind spot in Peter's life. And in a sense, you could argue that he's not walking by the Spirit. He's walking by the flesh in those moments. So you saw how easy it is uh, to slip and to be out of sync, so to speak, with the Holy Spirit. And we looked at, uh, on Mother's Day, the tale of these two moms, which are mentioned in Galatians. You've got the, the mother of the promised uh, child. What, what was her name? Sarah. And then you've got the, the, the mom of the child who's kind of by the flesh. What was her name? Hagar, right. Okay, good. So we talked about them, a tale of two moms on Mother's Day. And then in part four, we said, well, if you're going to follow the Spirit and be led by the Spirit and live by the Spirit, gosh, it would help if you knew who the Holy Spirit was. 
or what the Holy Spirit is. Like if you have no understanding of who the Holy Spirit is, how are you supposed to be led by him and follow him and so on? And so we talked about, well, what did Paul teach about the Holy Spirit? He seems to assume that the Galatians knew what he was talking about. So we dug a little bit in Romans. We dug a little bit into what Jesus taught, the basics of the person of the Holy Spirit. And then last week, we looked at, in chapter 5 of Galatians, you see this uh, this idea, it's a kind of a harsh idea, where Paul talks about crucifying yourself. And Jesus even talked about this, right? He says, take up your cross daily. So, wow, what, is, what did that mean in this whole kind of imperatives in there that are in uh, chapter 5 of Galatians and things that you're supposed to be doing? And all of this lays a foundation uh, to this, this now, you know, very famous passage, um, the fruit of the Spirit in, in Galatians 5, which everybody loves. I'm not so sure how much you'll love it, though, after this message, because it, in digging into this and pre- preparing for it, I, you'll see it in a different way, perhaps, than you've seen it before. So I want to talk to you today about, well, how to live by the Spirit. So Paul in uh, Galatians 5 and 16, you know, after all of this foundation, he says, so I say, so you got to read everything before the so, so I say, live by the Spirit. In some translations, walk in the Spirit. The, the question becomes, well, how? Like, how do you actually do that? And that's what we want to know today. The frustrating thing when you read the passage and even the end of the book is he doesn't really say how, as if the audience knew how, as if it's not rocket science to Paul or the audience as to how you walk by the Spirit or live by the Spirit. You'll see him use another term later, be led by the Spirit. He doesn't seem to think that it's a mystery. They don't seem to think it's a mystery. It's more like, well, you know what you should be doing. You're supposed to do it, is the way that he kind of writes it. But before we get there, uh, he does give us what happens when you do this. So the results of uh, walking by the Spirit, living by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit. Because sometimes people just don't know. Like, what does that look like? How will I know that I'm walking by the Spirit or being led by the Spirit? What is the results of this? And then there's, a, in, in, I think in Paul's view, a very simple way to do this, a very simple process to do this. Uh, we'll get into that at the end. So what happens when you live by the Spirit? If you, if you take your Bibles, you look at Galatians 5, maybe you're online, you can do it electronically. Galatians chapter 5, real easy to find in the New Testament. I had a senior lady in my life and she taught it to me like this. She says, uh, General Electric Power Company. You ever heard that before? Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians and Colossians, General Electric Power Company. That's how you remember the sequence, okay? You say, well, yeah, but what comes after before general? Well, look in your table of contents. What's a table of contents? It's it's the beginning of your paper Bible. What's a paper Bible? Just 
Go in your electronic Bible, Galatians chapter 5, okay? So I say, what's a pew rack, right? <laughs> so I say, live by the Spirit. And what happens? So verse 16, live by the Spirit and you will, first thing he lists, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh or the sinful nature, or the, the, the sarks. The, this is not your physical body. It doesn't mean, well, you know, if you live by the Spirit, then you won't need to eat anymore. You know, good way to diet. Live by the Spirit, and, you know, you won't gratify the desires of your stomach. Oh, that evil flesh that wants to eat, you know. That's not what he means when he says flesh. He means that that thing inside of you, that immaterial thing inside of you that's bent up against God, that wants things that God doesn't want, that wants you to satisfy those wants that God doesn't want. That's what he's talking about when he talks about flesh. So he says, you live by the Spirit and you will not uh, give in. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And, and then he gives this this description of, of um, this tug of war that takes place for the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. So both want different things. The Spirit, the, that's the person of God. Remember we said last week, the closest you can get to God right now on planet earth is through the person of the Holy Spirit. You cannot get any closer to God than that. You, you are not directly in the presence of God right now. Yeah, remember Paul says, away from the body and at home with the Lord, but as long as I'm at home in the body, I'm away from the Lord. You say, well, how can he be away from the Lord when he also teaches that the Lord lives in us? How does the Lord live in us? Through the person of the Holy Spirit. How does the Father live in us? Through the person of the Holy Spirit. But you will, you, when you are on the other side, when you pass through the curtain, when you leave this world, then you will be in the direct presence of Jesus and the Father. But here, the closest you can get to God, I would I would I will defend this is through the person of the Holy Spirit. If you do not have a relationship with him, if you don't follow him, if you if you're not led by him, if you're not walking in step by him, then wow, you're all, you're all over the place. You're doing your own thing. Paul would say you're walking by the flesh if you're not walking by him. So there's this tug of war that takes place, he says, and he's talking to believers here, even within the life of the believer, there's this tug of war, the spirit wants one thing, the flesh wants something else, and so there's a conflict, and you're not doing what you want because of this conflict, it's like you're, it's like you're this ping pong ball between this, these two paddles. But if you are, and here he says again, led by the spirit, you are not under law, that's another benefit, but we'll stick with the first one. First, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And he gives this list of what that looks like. He says the acts or the works, in some translations, of the flesh are so on. And he gives a list here. Now, this list is a very graphic list. 
it's, uh, this list is controversial today. To read this list and to understand this list, it's controversial because the culture and what the culture understands and approves of, depending on where you are in the world, but especially here in North America and in the West, is going to have huge problems with what Paul says here. Now, I'm going to read this list, but I'm going to read it in a different translation. Okay, this is a paraphrase that comes out of an old lexicon. A lexicon is a tool that we use to inspect the Greek words that are used in the, in the text of the New Testament and go by what they meant at that time. So this is a paraphrase that's based on an old lexicon. It's going to make you blush a little bit. This is what he says. What the human nature produces. So, so for Paul, it's not, it's not that um, uh, these, these behaviors are um, uh, uncommon or something. For him, this is, this is basically what you're going to get when the human nature at its best is going to give you this kind of stuff. <laughs> so he's saying this is, this is what it is when, you're a, when a person is, is not a Christian person, they're not a Christ follower, they're human. Well, this is the problem with humanity. This is what it's going to produce. Some of the Greek philosophers back then would say, well, you know, these things are bad. These, these things in this list are bad. And there's some people who think that this list, he's adopted it from some of the Greek philosophers and is twisting it a little bit and putting his own spin on it the way that it's written. And some of these Greek philosophers, well, these behaviors are bad. Paul's saying, not only are they bad, but they're pretty natural for humanity. So it's a very sober what he's saying here. Basically, the idea is, Humanity's got a problem. In, in the, we use a term in theological circles, we say total depravity. And this means that every part of us ha it has fallen to sin. Every part of us is corrupted by sin. The things we think about, everything, it, it, there's not a part of us that hasn't succumbed to sin. What the human nature produces is plain for all to see. This is this translation. Things like unchastity, it's an old word, unnatural vice, sexual excess, all of these terms that he's talking about all have to do with the realm of, of sexuality. And when he says unnatural vice, it, he's talking most probably, and there's some debate as to the specifics, but he's talking most probably uh, just, just to say what he's talking about. It doesn't mean you agree, disagree. I'm just telling you what he's talking about. He's talking about homosexuality and so on when he says unnatural vice. I told you the list is controversial, but this is what it says. Okay, D Please don't shoot the messenger, as they say. Okay, I'm telling you what he says in the scripture. I know this is very controversial. There's a list in Romans chapter 1 that reads somewhat like this. Sexual excess, idolatry, magic, uh, the word there, um, uh, magic, occultism, that type of thing. Hostile feelings, contentiousness, jealousy, temper tantrums, interesting translation, right? Canvassing for position. You ever seen that at your workplace? 
dissensions, factions, envy, alcoholism, wild parties, and all that sort of behavior. It's quite a translation, isn't it? I tell you in advance, as I did before, that those who do things like that will never prove to be heirs of God's kingdom. Very controversial list. It may be, folks, that 10 years, 15 years from now, reading a list like that in a public setting, in a church setting, could get you in trouble. It's so hot, this list. It's, wow, it's so controversial when you line it up with the culture today. Wow. I mean, this would be not very approved of, uh, at least some of it, right? But he says, when you live by the Spirit, you will not gratify, you will not give the flesh what it wants. That's what it wants. That's how it wants you to behave. That's, it desires those things. When you desire those things, those are eventually the things that you are going to do. And it's not meant to be a closed list. It's a things like this list. That he, this is the way that it's written. So it's a, it's a benefit. When you live by the Spirit, you will not give in to what that flesh wants you to give in to. You will be able to resist the temptation of the, you know, just a, I'll, pick a, I'll pick a nice one. Canvassing for position. You know, you're at the workplace and you can, you can do something to compromise your integrity a little bit to get a higher position over somebody else and you can climb over them. Canvas for position, right? You will resist that temptation if you are walking by the Spirit. You will not give in. So I, I, one story, uh, um, a lady told me, she said she went into a, a, a bank, uh, automatic bank machine. And uh, when she went in there, there was a bank card live in the machine. Somebody left, left the machine with a live card in the machine. So she could have just hit withdrawal and picked whatever amount of money that she wanted, assuming it was in the account, and withdrawn it. Now, some people would say, praise God. It's my lucky day. God has blessed me with, look, this providence, you know. Now, she didn't do that. She, she took the card out, and she went to the real person at the real, you know, in the real bank, and she said, there's a live card left in the machine, right? So the temptation there, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not going to give in to the, remember we talked about Gehazi last week, Gehazi would have said, well, as surely as the Lord lives, he has blessed me today. You know, I'm the prophet's servant, and we're going to eat well. Look at the money in the bank machine, right? So you won't take the Gehazi route. You will take the other route. You will be able to resist when you live by the Spirit. It's a good benefit. You are not under law, verse 18. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. He uses different terms, right? He says, walk by, uh, live in, be led by. He's referring to the same experience, just with different angles. You are not under law. What's he mean? 
Well, in context, these people were in, in Galatia were facing this idea that you have to follow the laws of Moses in order to be justified before God. You, you can believe in Jesus, but you also have to follow all of this law in order to be justified before God. Now, men, you have to be circumcised. You have to learn the Torah. You have to follow all of these laws in order to be justified before God. And Paul said, no, no, no. And he passionately argues against this. He, he, I mean, he, he would go to his grave over this idea. No, no, no. A person is justified by faith in Christ. The law will not do it. What will the law do? He says the law is good. What the law does is it shows you you're a sinner. It shows you that you're, you're a prisoner to sin. It shows you your need of Jesus. But if you try to fulfill the law in order to be justified before God, you will never succeed in doing that. The only way you can be justified before God is through faith in Jesus. So when you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. You do not follow the law in order to be justified before God. In our context today... This would be you are free from legalism. And legalism is still very much alive and well in, in the minds of many. And in legalism, you've got to do all of these things, all of these religious things, in order to be accepted by God and in order to be accepted in whatever church community. So it can, and it can be a whole bunch of crazy things. We talked about some of these things, you know. You can't, you can't have church in a movie theater, right, where Top Gun Maverick is going to play or whatever, because, like, you know, if Jesus comes back, you won't go, because you're in a, you know, there's a devil's house in the, in the legalist's mind, right? You can't wear certain kinds of clothing. I mean, if you smoke... If you come into the church meeting and someone smells cigarette smoke on your breath, like you're, you're toast in a legalist context, right? Never mind that the person, you know, knows that they shouldn't smoke and never mind that they know that they've been smoking since they were 12 years old and never mind that they're a new Christian and they're trying to, you know, learn things and never, it doesn't matter. The legalist will say, like... They'll be looked at funny. They'll be all of these things, legalism, you know, don't dance, don't wear pants, don't wear jewelry, whatever, you know, women wear, do they, all kinds of crazy things. When people grow up in legalist contexts, there's some young people in the room, wow, the deconstruction movement that's, that's happening now, one common feature is legalism. So people look at this legalism stuff, they, they're, you know, they got dragged to church by their parents, they grew up in a legalistic church that told, the, told them they can't do this, they, what kind of music you're listening to, what kind of stuff are you watching, this is wrong, this is wrong, don't do this, 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 and, and don't do, you know, all kinds of don't, 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 and that's all it was. And so they grow up and they say, I'm out of here because I watched the legalist do what they told me not to do. I saw it. They told me, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And I saw the hypocrisy, and so I'm out. This is a major problem, 
and the deconstructionist, you look at people who have deconstructed their faith, that means that their Christianity is left with a little shell. They barely believe anything that's, that's foundational about historic Christian doctrine anymore. Why? You ask them. They saw this in the church legalism. When you live by the Spirit, you're free from that stuff. You don't have to do all those do's and don'ts and all those things. Just live by the Spirit. And you, you will live in a certain way where you will live in a godly fashion. But you don't have to do all these do's and don'ts and all these things. And again, remember, the law is good. Like, I love the Old Testament. I love the first five books of Moses. I love the book of Leviticus. I really enjoy Leviticus. But what does it do? It shows you you're a sinner. That's its purpose, is to show you that you're off and you need Christ. You're free from legalism when you follow the Spirit. What else? You reap the harvest. This is, again, from this translation I'm going to read to you, of the Holy Spirit. We typically call this the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, But let me read to you um, the passages from Galatians 5, uh, 22 and 23. Again, this is from an old lexicon it's a, a, a paraphrase, trying to find what, are these, what does all this Greek mean? Let's paraphrase, paraphrase it using as many words as we need to into the, into the language of today, but respecting what it would have meant back then. So this is what he says, Galatians 5, 22, 23. But by contrast, the harvest that the Spirit brings, I like this translation, is love, joy, tranquility, we often say peace, love, joy, tranquility, forbearance with others. Well, that's nice. Forbearance with love, joy. What's that? Probably patience, right? Forbearance with others, kindness, generosity, reliability, humility, self-control, yes, but Again, respecting probably the way that Paul wrote it in the Greek, self-control, particularly in the area of sexuality. Controversial again. There is no law against those who act like this. You're free from legalism. For those who belong to Christ Jesus have put their flesh to death. Remember we talked about that last week, the crucify of the flesh put their flesh to death along with all its passionate desires. Now, as surely as we are living by the rule of the Spirit, let us walk by the rule of the Spirit. Let us, for instance, not be boastful, challenging and envying one another's position. Wow, that's a really alive translation, isn't it? You will have the harvest of the Spirit in your life if you are led by him. Wow, that's, that's pretty amazing. I would love those characteristics in my life. I would, wow, re- reliability, forbearance with others. You ever have a person in your life and you say, I just can't stand this person. I just want to hit the eject button on their life and hope the bottom drawer drops out and they just go down and I never see them again. I cannot bear to be around this person at work or school or church. Sorry, is it in church? I can't bear this person. 
in my own family, maybe. Maybe it's somebody in your family who said, I can't bear this person. Huh? Forbearance with others. Oh, boy, that's a great, great trait to have. Kindness, generosity, reliability. Wow, these are amazing traits. Okay, I won't get into the more controversial ones even, but look at these tra- amazing traits. What else will happen? Well, you will reap, he says, eternal life. Now, Galatians 5 doesn't end, you know, we put chapters and verses and all that. Sometimes chapters and verses can really disturb what the author is actually saying. You know, the translators have to do this, but sometimes they're put in places where, you know, you stop reading. So Galatians 5 and you stop. Say, I'll read Galatians 6 tomorrow, right? Sometimes you shouldn't do that. Sometimes you should read all the way through until the author stops his thought, maybe. But sometimes these translations and these chapters, they get in the way in these titles and these headers. Because if you keep on reading, he keeps talking about the benefits of the Spirit. And he says in uh, chapter 6 and verse 8, the one who sows to please his sinful nature... From that nature will reap destruction. A man reaps what he sows. Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Wow. By implication, you will also inherit the kingdom of God. Probably same language, to same referring to the same thing with different language, but you, you can understand this by the, the opposite list, right? So Galatians 5 and 21, those who live like this, according to the flesh, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Implication, those who live by the Spirit will inherit the kingdom of God. That's a really nice result. So you see these amazing uh, things that happen in your life if you are walking by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, living by the Spirit, whatever term you want to use that Paul uses. But it still doesn't answer the question that we all want to know, how? (laughs) Just tell me the methodology, tell me the steps, step, you know, 10 steps to walking by the Holy Spirit, you know? I Googled that. You know how many articles you have? It's like hundreds and hundreds of articles, sermons, podcasts. How do you walk by the Spirit? Hours and hours. and I mean, it's, just Google it and you'll see. As if it's a really, really big, mysterious thing and we need to know these, you know, these steps to doing this. I think you know this already. I think when Paul assumes that the Galatians know, and that's why he doesn't give these 10 steps to walking by the Spirit, I actually think we're the same. I actually think we know how to do this. But I, it's not a question of knowing how. It's a question of doing it. <laughs> not a question of knowing how. So I, I'm going to ask you, um, and you, you may be, uh, I don't know, you may be shocked by the simplicity of this. But you tell me, how does a person, how do you as an individual do this? What is, if there's a process, 
What is it? What does it involve? Just shout out some answers to me. You can post on Facebook or YouTube. Anything goes as long as it's not, you know, harsh language. Yes. Give your life to him every morning. Okay, yeah. We can call that submission. Okay, be sensitive to the Spirit. True. Pray. Okay, I'll get, I'll get back to that one after. Yes. Read your Bible. Oh boy, I'll get back to that one too. What's that? Obedience. Okay. Right? But if, if you want to obey, what do you obey? Yeah, you got to know what to obey. Where do you get that information? <laughs> you only get it from one place, probably here, ultimately, right? Do you see where I'm going with this? There's two, there's two little pillars that have been mentioned today. And uh, what we're talking about, again, you're asking, you want to be led by the Spirit so that you can have the fruit of the Spirit in your life. You want to live by the Spirit. You want to walk by the Spirit. Remember, we saw Jesus said, the, the Spirit will guide you. He will teach you. He will counsel you. He will remind you. He will take what is mine. He will give it to you. Uh, he's like a lawyer. He's like, an, uh, in French, an avocat. It's a nice way of translating the Greek word there. Jesus is a good lawyer, <laughs> really good lawyer. So uh, Jewish too. Oh, that's a joke. You got it in the front row. So, so it, it, but if Jesus is going to teach you, if he's going to remind you, if he's going to guide you, what's he going to teach you? How's he going to teach you? You, you have to have, if the Spirit is going to do that in your life, you have to have some communication with God with God specifically, the Holy Spirit. How are you going to communicate with God? That is a discipline. It's a basic discipline of the Christian faith is to communicate, and communication is two ways. It's not one way. It's two ways. It's to communicate with God. We have a, we have a device um, on a little table here on our tech table, and it's a portable uh, internet hotspot, right? And and so you can you can you can upload information to a server, and you can download information from a server. And you got two arrows. There's a screen there, and there's two arrows: the up arrow and the down arrow. And you can actually test the speed. How fast is the up going? How fast is the down going? Usually the down is faster than the up. <laughs> but, but you can see it. You can see there's a two-way communication that's happening there. And that's what you need if you're going to be led by the Spirit of God. You've got to have a, a, a form of communication with God. And that's a discipline. That doesn't just come instinctively. That doesn't just come naturally. When you decide to follow Christ, you don't just sit there and put your feet up on the, on the spiritual couch and have the spiritual potato chips and say, okay, God, you know, it's all done. I'm a Christian now. Yay. Right? There's a, there's a discipline, that, a basic discipline of communication with God. 
And this, I'm, I'm convinced, is no longer considered a discipline today by many. It's unfortunate that it isn't because we all want the benefits of this, but we're not really willing to, to say, well, this is a discipline of Christianity, though. And you have to work at it. And it's the discipline of communication. And at the end of the day, no matter how you want to term it, no matter how, if you want to put 10 points to it, if you want to write a book on it and do a podcast, no matter how you cut the cake with this, it's basically going to come down to two pillars, but done in a certain way. And I put it on your screen this way. Prayer as has been mentioned, Bible has been mentioned, repeat. <laughs> Prayer, Bible, repeat. Now hold on because you can get lost in the way that I'm saying it. A lot of times when people do these things and they pray and they, and they do their, their Bible, you know, we even have a nice term in Christian uh, 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 jargon that we use for this. It starts with a D. Devotions. We say we're doing our devotions, you know. Say that to a non-Christian. They're going to look at you like, what's a de- who, devotion? You're doing your devotions. Uh, devo- what's a devotion? They're probably going to ask you, you know. If, if, they, if, if they ask you, what would you, do, how, what would you do this morning? Oh, I did my devotions, you know. You, you're going to have some explaining to do, right? We have a nice term for it. We call it devotions. But a lot of times when people do this, and when Christians do this, they do it because, well, that's what you're supposed to do. And that will get God's attention. That will give certain points. Hey, God, I read my Bible today. It's pretty good. Hey, I read it tomorrow too. Hey, I got this Bible app And the Bible app says that I've been doing this for like 50 days straight. Hey, God, you know, uh, it's pretty good, isn't it? So what do I get for that? (laughs) And we think that we, we do it so that we can get these little points with God. And God's checking. He said, whoa, man, he's 50 for 50 days straight. Hey, that's pretty good. I've got to do something to bless that guy or that gal because, hey, they opened that Bible app 50 times, and they read, like, that's, I got to give them something. I'm obliged to, because that's how the system works. No, it isn't. God is not obliged to give you anything because you prayed seven days in a row. But we think this, and so we do this, and, we, and we're doing this with the hope that God will somehow, something will happen, and it's a result of the work that we put in so that we could get God to give us things. God, I gave you attention, and so you've got to give me attention. I did my devotions. I even used the daily bread, you know. I even used the Bible app. I did, I did my devotions, so you, you are obliged. And you will find, my friends, that God is not obliged. And you will be frustrated with that type of system of prayer and Bible reading because that's not why you do that. You don't do it so that you get points with God. Most of the time, people feel guilty because they know they don't pray enough. 
They know they don't read enough, and so they're walking around under spiritual guilt all the time. I'm a uh, Christian because I don't pray every day. I don't read my Bible every day. I don't even understand. Like, I try and read the Bible. I get so confused. It's so frustrating. And they live under the guilt all the time. God doesn't want that either. What he wants is communication, Right? And don't, don't you, when you're in a relationship with somebody, don't you want to communicate with that person? It's a little bit helpful, especially if you want that person to actually lead you. And when we talk about the person of the Spirit, we're saying that we want Him to lead us. If we want Him to lead us, we better have some communication with Him. And how is he going to communicate with us? How does God communicate with his people? How does he communicate with you? Shout out some answers, put some things on Facebook, YouTube. Primarily through his word. That's right. So, so, but how else? Yes. Dreams and visions. Sure. I do believe that God could do that, just not to me. <laughs> Because my dreams and visions are, woo, they're all, they're all over the place. Well, maybe there's one time or two times, but I always take them with a grain of salt. But to your point, yes, he can. He can do that. But when he speaks in a dream or a vision, or give me some other things, other people, yes. God incidents, that's a nice word. It's a coincidence that God, yeah, Bernard Ram used to call this a coordinated coincidence. I like this, yeah. When God does this, how do you know that it's God who's doing it? Well, uh, it may, because you've asked him to lead you, yes, but how do you know for sure? You've had that experience, you've had that dream or vision, you had that coordinated coincidence, you've had all the... How do you know that that thing is of God, though? How do you know it's God who's speaking to you ultimately? What's the ultimate litmus test? The fruit of the Spirit? Yeah, I, I would say beyond anything else, the best test is, does it line up with the Scripture? And, and that's what you're looking for ultimately, because if he wrote it, if it is the authoritative, inspired, infallible, inerrant Word of God, profitable for teaching and correcting and rebuking and training in righteousness, if this is so then all these other things should ultimately somehow connect with it or be corroborated by it or ultimately at least not oppose it. But when you have something that is clearly in opposition, yeah, but, but it looked really good. I mean, it looked good in the bank machine. You know, the, it was right there. It was a coordinated coincidence. And I, I even prayed this morning. And I prayed for... I need God, I need $200 to pay this bill. And 10 minutes later, I went to the thing and it's, I could withdraw $200. It's God, it's coordinated coincidence. No, it's theft, right? Thou shalt not Gehazi, thou shalt not steal. You know, we talked about Gehazi, the spiritual manipulative thief is what he was. Uh, uh, wow, he was a mess. So it, ultimately, you've got to see, does it line up with the Scripture? And sometimes there are things in life and they, you can't really find, you know, a Scripture or a, a, a teaching 
um, you know, it's, well, I, I, I take this job or I take this job. Both are, there's nothing immoral about the jobs. There's, I've checked everything, like I could take this job or this job. Which one is it? You know, what's the scripture verse that's going to tell me what job I take in that case, right? Well, in a case like that, what you're looking for, is there anything here that is in opposition to the scripture? If there, then walk, then walk. You're praying, walk. If you're off kilter, well, God will nudge you back, right? But if you're walking by the Spirit, then you've got to, it's a communic, it's two-way communication. You you pray, even when you pray, it's two-way communication. It's not, well, you know, I'm doing this because I want something. No, you're communicating with God's relationship. Why do you read the scripture? Because it's a relationship. It's the primary way that God is going to speak to me. Will he use other ways? Yes, yes, yes. But the primary way that he will use is that way. Here's what I see as a struggle for people today. Christians today, what we do sometimes, and we don't even see that we do it sometimes, we go to God. Do we go to God consistently? Sure. Some of us very consistent every day. Oh boy, the prayer, the, pr- the person prays all the time. They're always got their nose in the Bible. They're always praying all the time. But you know what? They are incredibly abrasive. They're arrogant. They're uh, uh, the speech, the behavior, say, why, why are they that way when they're always in church? They're always in the Bible. They apparently are always praying, but they seem to be, what's wrong? And, some, and that's an extreme, but we're somewhere in the middle sometimes. We go to God with a, 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 a prior commitment, to a particular thing that we want. And we go to God, and God becomes the the, uh, justification for what we want. We want something, and we go to God to justify the desire. And it may be an unholy thing that we want. Maybe an ungodly thing that we want. Doesn't matter. We're going to God with the intention that He will justify what we want. We go and we pray to Him about it. We pray. We say, God, this person, this, 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 that, this situation, da 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 da. And we and we've got this prior commitment, this prior obligation to this particular thing, which may be totally outside of the will of God. It may be totally against the scripture in an obvious sense. Doesn't matter. We want God to justify it, so we pray about it. And then we say, well, God didn't answer. God's silent. Why do you think he's silent? Maybe you're going to God with a prior commitment to something that you want, and it's not what he wants, it's what you want. Amazing prayer of Jesus. Not my will, but yours be done. And that's when he's about to face a Roman crucifixion. Hey, I would be the other way, wouldn't you? But he's saying, no, no, no. Not my will, but the Father's be done. That's how you pray. You go to God without a a prior commitment to something else that you want him to justify. And many people do the same thing with the scripture as well. Have a prior bias, a prior commitment, uh, and they go to the scripture to justify 
Now I've got God on my side. And so I've got the text. I've got the scripture verse. Uh, Yeah, did you know you're reading it upside down, backwards, and out of context? No, 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 no. The scripture says this. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Uh, Yeah, but did you? No, no, no. This is what God says. I have faith. But what you're doing is going to hurt that person. Doesn't matter. I have God on my side. I'm praying. I'm doing everything right. No. What, what we're doing when we do that is we're trying to, to make God, in a sense, in our own image. We're trying to get him to do what we want. And this is not the way that we approach God. Not when we're praying, not when we're reading the scripture. The way we approach God is the other way. It's you're the boss. You're going to speak to me. I'm going to be led by you. If that means that my prior uh, commitments... And, and, and the obligations that I think I have and the worldview that I think I have, if that means that it's going to now be subject to change, God, because of what you say, then I have to be willing to change it. Oh, wow, that's a big thing. But, 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 but the culture says this, this, and this. Doesn't matter what the culture says. If this is, if this is what, if this is true, and if this is the word of God, then... Hold on here. What does what does God say? Yeah, but if I do this, then people are not going to like me. Okay, but who do you want to be led by? People or God? You see, and this is where it gets dicey. Is we have to approach God with this posture, and when you do this and you repeat this, and sure, when it becomes a daily discipline, it is very difficult not to be led by the Spirit when you do, when you do these things this way. You say, but pray and, pray and read the Bible? That's it? Pastor, you didn't get more than that? Like, where's the 10 steps? Where's all the other things? No, it's, it's, there's no mystery to it. But the way that you do these things is critical. The way that, and I think that the way that we're doing them and the way many of us have been taught to do them are just... And that's why we're frustrated, because we don't see the results that we want, and it's because we're doing these things in an off-center way. Listen, God wants to communicate with you. He wants a relationship with you, and that's where it all starts. He wants the up and down arrows all the time. That's what he wants. He wants the upload and the download all the time a flowing relationship with you. And as you cultivate that, you're going to find these benefits are going to come into your life. You're going to see these characteristics in your life. You're going to see this harvest of the Spirit in your life. You say, wow, why am I changing this way? You're changing this way because you're in a relationship with God. And that's what He wants. If the musicians who are available can come to the, the platform, we'll just close in prayer here um, uh, uh, on this message and really, in a sense, the, this series. Um, but I wonder today if there's some of you, maybe you're online as well, and you say, oh, wow, you know, I'm, you're, you're either one or the other extreme. You're, you're on the guilt, I don't pray enough, I don't read my Bible enough, guilt, 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 or... You, maybe you're on the side of, well, I, I, I do all these things, but I'm frustrated all the time. I'm angry all the time. 
Maybe I need to open myself to a different posture, a different way of approaching God, because what I'm doing now isn't working. God isn't answering with yeses. I'm more frustrated and more angry with my relationship with God than ever. And maybe it's because the way that you're approaching uh, his throne is, is off. It's your way, but it's not his way. You can go ahead and start to play. Father, we thank you today for your word and the, the simplicity and the, uh, the, the way that it's presented to us is, is so, so direct and so, uh, so sober. Uh, but we need that, oh God. Uh, 2,000 years later, we need it. We need you to, to speak straight to us. And uh, I pray for people who are in this room, people online. Uh, Lord, that uh, we, we find ourselves somewhere on, on, on either side there. Uh, maybe on the guilt side, maybe on the frustration side. Maybe there's some and they're on the legalism side. And uh, their, their Christianity is just a bunch of no's. And it's just a bunch of things that they're against. And there's no life to it. There's no freshness to it. There's no water of the Spirit. There's no wind blowing in their life. They're just stale and frustrated. Maybe there are people here and they're angry at God. They feel that God let them down. God abandoned them. God forsook them. God didn't give them what they wanted. Lord, wherever we are, uh, would you comfort us? Would you encourage us? Would you speak to us? Would you, would you challenge us? Uh, Lord, uh, I, I pray for the person. They're maybe here or online. And there's just, they're incredibly isolated and incredibly alone. And they need the person of the Spirit to just come alongside and reassure them. You're right there with them. Uh, Lord, we, we sang about it before. And... Uh, uh, assure us that you will never let us go. Great is your faithfulness for which we are thankful and we pray today together in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. And uh, while you're not American, but have a nice long Memorial Day weekend nonetheless. Some Americans in the room, I think. But uh, you won't have the day off Monday, but God bless you. Anyway, remember to pick up your kids over in uh, number 11 next door. Have a great Sunday.